Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not behaving merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. The word of the Lord. Amen. The book of Acts uh, clearly shows us how Paul brought the, the Apostle Paul brought the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, to Macedonia, which is northern Greece. But then Paul fled to southern Greece to a city called um, Achaia, and he fled there for, for his own safety. And that's where the, the city of, of Corinth was located. It was in the area of, of Achaia. 
which was a very wealthy and a cosmopolitan um, commercial center. So that's where, where Paul travels. And while Paul was at Corinth, uh, many believers, many people, excuse me, became believers. So Paul decided to stay there for about 18 months. He was there, and he stayed there to teach the people because so many people came, came to faith um, in Jesus. And then they, they wrote Paul a letter to ask him a few questions after he had left. And basically, Paul is, is responding to some of the issues of the day. The Corinthians had adopted the common idea that physical things were, were evil. Physical things were, everything physical was just evil and corrupt. And actually, even to the point where they were trying to um, separate them, themselves, their, their spirit, from their physical bodies because of the beliefs that they had. The, the city of Corinth was also a, a very um, a liberal city with their uh, beliefs and their, and their practices. And they had a reputation for um, having very expensive prostitutes at the temple, at the temple of Aphrodite. So they had a very um, uh, carnal reputation. And there also was a word that was established for them in the ancient world. And the word is um, Corinthia Zestai. It was, a, it was a special word that was uh, coined for the Corinthian people. And it means to, to play the Corinthian, or it means to, to act like a Corinthian. And it basically meant that if you were a, a debauched, dissolute, amoral, immoral, sensual kind of person, then you must be a Corinthian, because that's, that's who they were. It was like the, the Las Vegas or the, or the Sin City of the day. And in 1 Corinthians here, Paul addresses many of the things that arose because of their beliefs and because of their practices. So this morning, we're going to be in, in the third chapter of Corinthians, and I'm going to spend most of my time in the first section, but we're going to make our way, God willing, through the entire chapter this morning. I've entitled the message today, Spiritual Maturity versus Spiritual Infancy. Spiritual Maturity versus Spiritual Infancy. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not behaving merely human? The, the latter part of the first four verses here is a, is a strong rebuke, a strong rebuke to the Corinthian church. Paul is, is rebuking the church, yet the, the intensity, I would say, the intensity of the blow is actually softened, and it's softened by a reality, and the reality is this. Paul wants to make sure that he reminds the Corinthians, that he reminds the people who they are. He wants to remind them that they are actually brothers, that they are brethren, that they are believers. So Paul is not saying here that their carnality or infancy or immaturity disqualifies them from being a Christian. And that's how he, he softens the blow of this rebuke. He's rebuking them, but the passage starts by saying, brethren, 
brothers. So there's a rebuke, but the rebuke only comes after the, the reality and the reminder that you are actually brethren. So Paul clearly points out in the first four verses that they are people of the flesh. Infants, milk drinkers, not ready, still of the flesh, jealous, harborers of strife, behaving only in a human way and being merely human. So in this first section, the, the big problem that Paul is addressing is, is the vision in the church. He then identifies the, the cause of this division, and he says it's the, the immaturity of the people. He's addressing division in the church, and he says that is caused by the immaturity of the people. So simple. The division of every church manifests itself because people are in the flesh. Church plus fleshly people equals division. Church plus spiritual people equals unity. So if you have a church that is full of spiritual people, that will always equal unity. Always. And remember this. That does not always equal 100% agreement. Remember that. To have unity does not mean that there has to be 100% agreement. It equals maturity. So we know that the book of Corinthians was written to the church at Corinth, as I said, but Paul is reminding us here, as he's contextually reminding them, again, that they are brethren. That's important to him. They, they profess the name of Christ, they, they wear his banner, they are a part of his body. However, he goes on to say that, unfortunately, you're not where you're supposed to be. He says, you guys are not where you're supposed to be. You're even out of the will of God. And you're unable to comprehend the things that you should be able to comprehend by now. There are certain things that you should be able to understand and, and you should be walking in right now that you're not yet walking in. So let's walk through the, the text. And again, if you have your Bibles, uh, be sure to, to follow me so I don't lose you. Verse 1, I could not, could not address you. It, this is past tense. In the past, as spiritual people. I could not, previously, I could not address you, past tense, in the past, as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. The, the Greek word here for flesh is a word called sarkinos. And it means fleshy, or composed of the flesh, and more acquainted with the natural man than the spiritual. And Paul is saying right here, that was cool. That was cool back then. So he's actually, he's not, he's not rebuking yet. He's saying that, that that was cool back then. That wasn't a concern of mine back then because you were a new believer. So this is not a, a negative statement or a rebuke yet. Why? You were infants. He says, you were infants in Christ. And it was okay. It was, it was normal. Because you were infants. Paul goes on though. 
verse number two. I fed you with, with milk. Why? Because, because you need to be nourished and it, was, and it was good for you. This is still not a rebuke. Right? In the past, this is who you were. You were infants. I, I fed you with milk. He's not rebuking them. It's all good. First Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. It, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good thing for where they were at. Not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Very reasonable. So that I, I didn't give you solid food because you were not ready for it. Very reasonable. So now here, here's the problem and the rebuke. End of verse 2 and into verse 3. And even now, you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. Greek word shifts just a little bit to sarkikos, which means fleshly, carnal. Now you are, you are under the control of the flesh. You are characterized by the flesh. You're almost dominated by it, mastered by the flesh. How many of you guys like milk? It's a safe place. You guys can be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, did, did, did you guys know that, uh, that human beings are the only mammals that still drink milk after infancy? And you say, well, why? Well, because we're human beings, and we do whatever we want to do, when we want to do it. So, we're the only mammals that drink milk after infancy. And milk, let's look at milk, right? It, it, it's quickly prepared, right? It's, it's convenient, it, it satisfies quickly, and it digests a lot easier than solid food, right? This is milk. Now, if I came out here this morning with an eight-ounce baby bottle of milk and began to drink it, would that be weird? Okay, now, would it be weird because it's an eight-ounce baby bottle of milk or would it be weird because I'm a grown man drinking milk? It should be both. <laughs> should, be, should be both. So milk should only be, be drank from, from the bosom or a baby bottle for a reason. Not a, not a fancy large man glass that we put in. It should be drank from a baby bottle for a reason. And I said that to say this. There are believers that have believed for a very long time. There are believers that have believed for a very long time, yet they are still immature. And I'm ashamed to say that I know some of them. And you do too. And Paul is rebuking the Corinthians, not because they were once infants, but because they still were. That's why he's rebuking them. Not because they were once infants. That's good. That's fine. But he's rebuking them because they still were. They were not growing. Why? 
because they actually enjoyed drinking milk. They, they enjoyed being babes, they enjoyed being immature, they enjoyed being carnal, they actually enjoyed it. They had made the, the temporary permanent. They had made that which was supposed to be temporary and they had made it permanent. Milk was only meant to be for a season. Now, if we're honest, there are so many people today that are in the same boat. You prefer milk. That's what you prefer. That's what you like. That's what you enjoy. And you don't want to eat solid food. You don't really want to know what, what God's will is for your life and his plan for your life. You're afraid to raise your hand and say, here am I. Send me. You're afraid of what God may ask you to do if you fully surrender to him. Because he will ask you to do something that you don't want to do. Guaranteed. And you're cool with being immature just as long as you make it to heaven. You're okay with that. Just as long as I make it to heaven, I'm good. Can God ask anything of you? The question I want to ask you. Can God ask anything of you? And have your obedience? Can he? Can God ask you to go to Nineveh? Can God ask you to climb Mount Moriah and present your Isaac? Can, can God even ask you to to share the gospel with someone. I found that there are so many Christians that, that strive to walk the line or, or the balance beam of, of worldliness and the church. They want to know just, just how worldly can I be and still make it to heaven. They, they want to walk on that, on that tightrope. That's how, they, that's how they prefer to walk. How worldly, how fleshly, how carnal can I be still, still make it to heaven? That's their, that's their mind set, and you're asking the wrong question. You should be asking more than what, what does God require of me, and you should be asking how can I serve him completely and fully and die daily? That should be your question. And I want you to understand, friends, that we all, we all begin as infants. Again, it's normal. We all start as infants. We all begin as infants. It is good for us to be infants. We're all aware more of our feelings over our faith when we begin. We're infants. We're more conscious of our feelings than we are our faith. We're more aware of how God makes us feel than what he actually says in his word. We all start there as, as infants. And it's good to be an infant. Milk is what we need during that season to help to get us to the next level. However, we're called to growth. Amen. Are you growing? Are you growing? And you would know if you are. You would know if you are. The question, are you growing? Everything that's healthy continues to grow. Joshua, my son, who's upstairs, he's, he's a one-year-old. And if in, in one year, 
he's exactly the same. If in one year he's the same weight and the same height, in just a year from now, there'll be a problem. And it will be uh, not a minor problem, but a major one. It will be a serious issue if in one year he was exactly the same as he is right now. So I'm going to make a, a very powerful statement this morning. It is possible for you to be in Christ and never grow up. That's a, that's a very powerful statement. It is possible for you to be in Christ and never grow up. Now, that, that's scary to me, uh, and it should be to you too. That should be more scary than your infant child not growing up and developing. It's scary. This right here, 1 Corinthians 3, is one of the few places in the Bible where it directly speaks about carnal Christians. We'll stand with the text here. This is one of the few places where it directly speaks and addresses carnal Christians. Again, not making a distinction between the two but carnal Christians. So you can be a, so, so, so can you be a Christian and carnal? Yes. Can you be a part of the body of Christ and behave in a worldly manner? Yes. Can you be spiritually rich yet behave poorly? Yes. You can. Now let me not confuse you, right? I'm, I'm not saying... <laughs> Maybe you're thinking, well, well, how do we, how do we know? How do we know then, you know, who is who is truly born again, right? Who's who's truly a believer, and who's not? I don't want to confuse you this morning. Maybe you're thinking, well, how do we know who's who's truly a believer and who is not? And I would say this: I would say by our repentance. True believers repent, right? And then obviously, eventually, right, produces fruit, befitting of repentance. But I would say that we know true believers by their repentance. True believers repent. And that's also why church discipline and accountability is so important. For, for that reason. Let me make this very clear to you. The Corinthian church w- was not wholly, completely of the flesh, or they wouldn't be believers. They had, they had carnal tendencies, but they had life in Christ, but it was weak. Verse 3 and verse 4. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? In verse 3, I, I think things like, like jealousy, strife, and sectarianism 
we don't typically uh, see or, or focus on as works of the flesh. We tend to overlook these as, as minor sins, if we call them sins at all. And that's why I'm glad that I'm not preaching my, my own word today, my own message, but I'm preaching God's word. God's message. But I'd personally love to highlight for you some of the, the sins, some of the fleshly sins that, that, that I'd like to focus on. That I also believe are very destructive, but however, I'm forced to focus on the ones in the text. And the Apostle Paul says, I know that you are carnal, fleshly, and, and immature because of your jealousy and because of your strife and because of your sectarianism. He says, this is how I know that you are carnal and fleshly. So not some of the other things and sins that you're thinking of, but these are the ones that, that Paul says identify you as carnal and fleshly. Again, take the other sins out of your mind. He's speaking about jealousy, strife, and sectarianism. There is, a, there is an unhealthy view of leaders, and there is a healthy view of leaders. You create an, an unhealthy view of leaders when your devotion is to them over Christ. When, you're, when your full devotion is to a leader over Christ, it's unhealthy. When your full devotion is to a leader and you ultimately follow them and then you shut your ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit may be trying to say to you through someone else that is not of your so-called camp. When you do this, you're creating an environment for jealousy. Because you begin to believe that the fullness of everything that you need is found in that one person, in that one individual. When what you need is in Christ alone. You also create an environment of strife. Because now you've created division, thinking that everyone else should follow your leader. And you also believe that anyone who does not follow your leader, they are in error. If their style is different, if their flow is different, Sometimes we even discredit them from the body of Christ. And we say, well, they don't do it the way he does it. So I wonder if they're even a part of the body. That brings strife and division. So the Corinthian church had, had different ministers. The Corinthian church had different ministers that had come through, right? Verse, verse 10 tells us that the Apostle Paul was the one that laid the foundation for them. Right? We're speaking about the Corinthian church. The Apostle Paul laid the foundation for the Corinthian church. Right? He was born in, in Tarsus of Cilicia. Right? He was circumcised on the eighth day. As we know, he was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, we know that he was brought up at the feet of, of Gamaliel, um, who was a, a very famous um, and, and very, very, very well-respected teacher of the day. We know the Apostle Paul, he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, the Bible says that, that of the law, he was a, a Pharisee, um, and of, of the righteousness of the law, blameless, right? This is the Apostle Paul. And he, again, laid the foundation for the Corinthians. He was a very intellectual man, very smart, very intelligent. But I don't know if you guys know this or not. He was not an eloquent man. 
very smart, intellectual, intelligent, but not an eloquent speaker. Intellect does not equal eloquence. Paul said this of himself in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 6. You can read it for yourself. Paul said this of himself, 2 Corinthians 11, 6. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with eloquent words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10. This is what they said about him. This is what others said about Paul. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. And then in, in Acts 20 and verse 9, we know a man by the name of, uh, of Eutychus. And Paul is, is preaching, uh, the Bible says, for a very, very long time. And uh, Eutychus falls through the window. He falls asleep and dies while Paul's preaching. And Paul goes down there and by the power of the Spirit brings him back. And finishes the sermon. <laughs> so he was, a very, he was a very intellectual man. And I'm saying this for, for a reason, right? Um, there were different speakers that, that came through the Corinthian church. So one was, was Paul, right? Very uh, intellectual. Um, uh, great, great letters, but not an eloquent speaker. Then we had a man by the name of, of Apollos. Right? So Apollos, um, Acts chapter 18, we can... Glance at this real quick. Now, a, a Jew named Apollos, a, a native of Alexandria, which is uh, Egypt, um, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. Competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He didn't know as much as Paul, but he's eloquent. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the word of God more accurately. This couple brought him into their home and began to disciple him, which is, which is beautiful. I, I just love that. Verse 27, And when he wished to, to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he 
powerfully. He was a, a, a powerful man, a, a great man, uh, very, uh, very charismatic. By the way, had, had stage presence. And, and spoke well, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. He knows what he's talking about. He can defend the faith. Showing by the scriptures that Christ was, that the Christ was Jesus. So this is Apollos. And church history tells us that Apollos with his natural gifts had attracted a, a following there, there in Corinth. Among the, the church in Corinth, he had attracted a following. And, and simple admiration for him was growing into divisiveness. Against Apollo's wishes, obviously, because he was a, he was a man of God. He was a, he was a man of God, um, well-respected, man of faith, loved God. And, um, so, so against his wishes, there was a, a faction in Corinth that claimed him as their spiritual mentor to the exclusion of Paul and of Peter. So they were saying, no, no, he, he's, he's our guy. And we're, and we're excluding Paul now, and we're excluding Peter. Obviously, again, there was division. Not everyone jumped on that boat, right? Um, but there were some that did. If you listen to me, we are immature if we can only receive God's word when a certain individual presents it. We are immature. If you can only receive God's word, the word of God, the word of life, the word of truth, if you can only receive it when, when a certain individual presents it to you, then you're spiritually immature. Truth must always trump personality. Truth. I'm also going to go on to say in our, in our context today, and I can't just skip past this, there's something greater that works to divide the universal body of Christ. When one says, I am of Calvin, or I am of Luther, or I am of Wesley, or I am of Arminius, Are you not behaving like mere men in a human way? Be very careful. Be very careful with that. It's actually, to me, it's, it's very interesting. Um, again, we're in 1 Corinthians 3, right? We're speaking about the things that Paul said was, was carnal. Right? And, and again, things like uh, jealousy and strife and sectarianism. And, and it's very interesting to me, again, how our views of carnality are different than the Bible's views of carnality. Obviously, there are other things that are carnal, but we're in 1 Corinthians 3 today, and Paul was addressing the church, and he was saying, you guys are carnal because of these three things. Right? So let's, again, forget the other carnal things for a moment, and let's stay in the passage. It's very interesting to me how um, sectarianism is one that we hold on to and that we embrace and that we uh, shout 
from the, with a microphone from the rooftops like it's not even in here. Like the Bible has nothing to say about it. I'm Calvin, I'm Calvin, I'm Calvinist. That's what you, that's what you represent. So, so you can only receive the, the teachings then that Calvin produced when you say that. Oh, I'm of Luther. Okay, so, so Luther's your guy, so whatever Luther taught, um, that's what you echo. Oh, no, I'm of Wesley. Okay, so again, uh, Wesley's the one that you embrace, so I'm of Arminius. And it has done exactly what the text speaks, speaks about what, what it did to the local church in, in Corinth. It's done to the body of Christ, and it's caused division. Yeah. And we all see it, and we all know it. And there are unbelievers that's confused, and uh, which one are you? What do you mean? <laughs> Remember, I'm just preaching the text. And by the way, Paul actually already addressed this in chapter 1, and he's addressing it again, which means it's, it's important. Chapter 1, he, he speaks about the same thing, sectarianism. In verses uh, 3 and 4, we also see the words behaving only in a human way and, and being merely human. Verse 3 again, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Highlight that. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So this is repeated twice in two verses. Now, whenever you see repetition in the Bible within the same passage or within the same verse, it means that we should pay close attention to it. It's kind of like the Salah of the Psalms. Pause. Meditate. Don't just skip on by. Come back. Wait here for a while. Camp here for a while. One commentator translated the words behaving only in a human way and being merely human as meaning they were very determinedly only human. They were deliberately, intensely only human. And Tim Keller said this, he said, they failed to go beyond the natural to the supernatural. And I like that. They, they, they failed to go beyond the natural to the supernatural. Never mistake your, your knowledge for your maturity. The, the Pharisees, we've mentioned them a lot. But the Pharisees had, as you know, a lot of knowledge. They had a lot of information, a lot of knowledge, more than many of us in this room. They, they read the scriptures and they would have memorized the Torah by the age of 12. And they, they, that would have been 187 chapters memorized. 187 chapters, 5,852 verses memorized. 
15,000, I mean 156,000, excuse me, 156,058 words, give or take, memorize. By the age of 12, that's, that's who they were. You can be spiritually mature and only know a few scriptures. You can memorize chapters and, and books and still be spiritually immature. The, the Pharisees had knowledge, yet they never went from the natural to the supernatural. They never went, they never crossed over from the natural to the supernatural. And they were, as you know, influential in the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know that it's, it's possible for you to coast through Christianity and never really depend or lean on the Spirit's power? Do you know that? That it is possible for you to coast through Christianity and never truly, really lean on and depend on the Spirit's power. And that's exactly what Paul is speaking about here when he says you are behaving like mere men. You're not acting like you are spiritual or like the Spirit is even in you. But in fact, you just deal with Christianity and your life based upon your own power, your own strength, your own natural abilities. That's how you deal with Christianity. Your weaknesses you accept as weaknesses, and your strengths you, you trust in and lean upon those. The, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, patience, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. There, there are some people, unbelievers, unregenerate people, that may have one or two of these fruits. They may be patient and they may be gentle because of common grace. Maybe, maybe it's their job to be patient. So they've, they've mastered the art of patience. But they don't have, have the, the, the spirit of God in them. We, we all know unbelievers, right, that, that have, have some, some good characteristics. Maybe you know someone, again, that's patient. Unbeliever. And you're like, man, they're so patient. Unbeliever. Man, man they're, they're, so, they're so kind. But I believe for us as believers, we are to, to manifest and demonstrate all the fruits of the Spirit. No one can do that without the Spirit. So, so as a believer, we should be demonstrating all nine of the fruits of the Spirit, and we have to lean on the Spirit's power for that. I mean, you guys know that, right? There's maybe, again, one or two of those fruits that you guys had Again, before you came to Christ and His Spirit came in you. Just because of God's common grace that He gives to people, to the righteous and the unrighteous. But we have to lean into the Spirit's power in order for us to be able to, to really produce and walk the kind of walk that God is calling us to live. Verse 5. 
What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Most of the, the earliest manuscripts, they say, what then is Paul? Which is interesting. Instead of who then is Paul, right? Um, what is Paul? What then is Apollos? So they say, what then instead of who then is Paul? Because what? That was the very problem they were trying to steer away from. Who these people were. Who these leaders were. So the focus was not to be who Paul was, but what Paul was. Who they were is irrelevant. What they are is key, and that is this, servants. That's a healthy view of leaders. They were servants. They are faithful servants. They belong to him. Forget about who they are. It's what they are. They are servants of God. Leaders are are vessels, instruments in God's hands. People who have been been called and have made themselves available to be used by the Master. We, We came to believe through them and not in them. Amen. We came to believe through them, praise God, but not in them. We do not believe in our leaders. We believe in Jesus Christ. Yet we came to believe in him, again, through our leaders. So we praise God for them. And I believe that we should uh, honor our leaders, as 1 Timothy 5 tells us. The, the Lord assigns and appoints leaders. So when we honor them, we're celebrating the work that God is doing or has done. Verse 6 and verse 7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. What we do as, as leaders is sporadic, right? It's temporary. We come and we go. Leaders are here today and they're gone tomorrow. We, we change. But what God does is eternal. What God does is continual. What God does is perfect. Many can can do what we do as leaders, but only God can do what he does, and that is the growth. Whether you plant or you water, you're on the same level. God is greater because he brings forth the growth. I want you just real quick to to forget about how how common it is to see seeds grow, right? Just forget about how, how common that is and just analyze the process with me for a second. You take a seed, put it in the ground, you put some water on it, and then an oak tree comes out and lives for 500, 600 years. That's a miracle. That's the work of God. You take a seed, you put it in the earth, you put some water on it, and an oak tree that lives five, six hundred years, comes out of the ground. That's the work of God. Amen. That is impossible and makes no sense without God, but makes perfect sense with God. God makes it grow. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages or 
rewards, as the New King James Version says, according to his labor. The, the planter and the, and the waterer, again, are on the same level and are one in aim. The, the W word is also revealed here in the text. And we're not allowed to say it in the church because it's kind of viewed like a cuss word in the church. It, it's shunned. Uh, people get really um, uncomfortable when they hear it, when they hear this word, especially when it's used in the context that I'm about to use it in. So take a deep breath. The, the W word is works. Works <laughs> is the W word, which in the, in the ESV is, is under labor, but some other translations use the word works. Works. So, so the, Bible, the Bible speaks about works in a positive sense. Again, not for salvation, right? Just always got to say that, right? Not for salvation, but for reward. The Bible speaks about works, and the Bible has a lot to say about works. Not for salvation, but for reward. Are there rewards outside of salvation? Yes, there are. Yes, obviously, salvation is the greatest reward, but there are other rewards that God desires to give to you. And again, going back to early on, if you're just focused on, man, I just want to be saved. Well, praise God. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's good. But we're supposed to be maturing, and with maturity um, comes rewards because of your labor, because of your works. So the Bible speaks about works in a, in a positive sense. Now, the only reason why you're even qualified as a, as a candidate to, to receive these rewards is because of salvation, is, is because you are saved. So only those who are saved can receive rewards, obviously, in heaven. So we will receive rewards for our labor or works. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God works with us, God works through us, God works in us, and we get rewards. For me, it's, uh, it's kind of amazing when, when I think that I'm serving the king of the universe. His spirit is in me, he's working in me, he's working through me. Um, producing fruit in me, um, and I get rewarded for it. It's just the way m my mind works. So I'm like, man, I, I serve God. Like the Spirit in me is doing these things, and God, you want to reward me for it? It's humbling, and it's and it's amazing to me that the king of the universe is working with me as a co-laborer and he's rewarding me for it. Wow. I think it's amazing that God has established a system where we get rewards and blessings based on our obedience to him. And 
man, like, like Lord, God, because I listened to you, like, like you know best, and because I listened to you, you're going to reward me? Praise God. Verse 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So real quick, let me give you some, uh, some truths from these verses. The foundation laid is, is only Christ and always Christ. Amen. Amen. But we are supposed to build upon that foundation, the Bible says. We are to, to grow in maturity in Christ. That's, that's how we build upon that foundation, by growing in maturity in Christ. Some other truths. Some will have rewards in heaven and some will not. It's true. Some will have rewards in heaven and some will not. So everyone in, in heaven is not equal. Okay, praise God, we're, we're in the presence of Jesus and, 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 and we're saved. But some will have rewards and some will not. All of your works will be tested through fire. Truths from the text. All of your works will be tested through fire. All your works will be judged, and some will reap a reward from it, and others, all they have done will be consumed, minus their soul. For some people, all of their works in this life is nothing. It will all be consumed. They'll be saved. They'll make it. But they'll have nothing to show for their 80, 90, 70, 100 years on earth. They have nothing to show for it. The only thing that will go into eternity with us is the things that we have done for Jesus Christ, the things we've done for him, building upon him. There is no spiritual growth for the believer outside of building upon the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone, but also the one who constructs the entire building. Anything you attempt to build upon his foundation, anything that you attempt to build upon his foundation outside of him will be consumed. You want to build things upon the foundation of Christ that's not him, it will be consumed. We don't only need Christ for the foundation of the building, but for the growth and preservation of the building. Christ, the Son 
of God manifested in the flesh. He humbled himself and he came down to earth, from heaven to earth as an infant, as a babe, to identify himself with us. He drank milk. He became vulnerable and he put on human flesh. And Luke tells us in chapter 2 that Jesus increased. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. He, he grew and he showed us how to walk in this flesh without being fleshly. He showed us how to be obedient to the Father while in the flesh. He showed us how to be obedient to the Father even unto death. He, he sacrificed his flesh, never gave in to his flesh, never gave in to his will, even as he was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Knowing that he would take on the sins of the world, he still stayed faithful to his God. And he did this why? So that you and I would no longer be slaves to sin or subject to our flesh. But he made the way of life, truth, and righteousness available to us all. And he won the victory and gave us freedom. Freedom to live as God has called us to live on the earth for all who believe in him. Verse 16, do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Contextually here, Paul is not referring to the individual person. I want to make that clear. But rather the Corinthian church. The, the local church as God's temple. God takes, takes very seriously those who work to destroy the local church or to divide it. And this could be in, in context also to the, the false teachers of the day in Corinth of a Judaistic uh, nature or, or a Greek Gnostic nature. And they were trying to destroy the church with their doctrines. Or as one scholar said, it could also refer to believers who through their platform have basically, they, they drag the name of Christ through the dirt with the way that they live. And um, the scholar said, you know, that he believes that, that some believers will even be taken home early, you know, um, because of that, because of the lifestyle um, that they live when they have a platform. They may be removed from the earth um, early or prematurely. Um, and I believe that to be a thing too. Verse 18 through 23. As we finish up here, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, which is Peter, 
or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. The worst thing about being deceived is that you don't know that you are. It's one thing to be deceived by people and it's another thing to be deceived by yourself. And Paul is saying here, and what I just read, Paul is saying here, stop being deceived. Stop deceiving yourself. I'm breaking it down for you. Stop deceiving yourself into thinking that your earthly knowledge and wisdom, or even your earthly position, somehow makes you somebody in the kingdom of God. You may be someone here on the earth. You may be someone in the world. But that doesn't make you someone in the kingdom. I don't care who you are on earth. It doesn't make you anything or anyone in the kingdom. That's why if you come here to, to the Way City Church and you are homeless um, or you're the president in the kingdom, you're on the same level. It doesn't make you anyone in the kingdom. Your title, your position on earth makes no difference in the kingdom. Only boast that you know him and in the knowledge of Christ, understanding that all of the wisdom of the Greek philosophers and of the entire world itself is absolute rubbish in comparison to the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants the church to know. All of your wisdom is complete rubbish in comparison to the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, all things are yours. All things are yours. It says, to, to, to do what? To serve you. Paul, to serve you. Apollos, to serve you. Cephas, to serve you. The world, life, even death works to serve the believer because it ushers you right into the presence of Jesus. Oh, death, where is your sting? And where is your victory? It doesn't exist for the believer Death does not exist for the believer. Both the present and future, all are yours. And ends with verse 23, and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. The chapter opened up reminding us, and it was a, a long chapter, but it's a powerful chapter. And thank you for staying focused as we got through what the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate to the Corinthians and what the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to you this morning. The chapter opened up reminding us that we are brethren. That's how this chapter began. It opened up reminding us that we are brethren. Then we went through some, some strong rebukes. And we went on a, on a beautiful journey 
And the chapter closes by reminding us that we belong to Christ. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. That's both comforting, it's encouraging, and it's empowering for our Christian growth. That we know that we are His, and that we belong to Him. Let's stand up, please, and let's pray. Bow your heads, please. Think about the word that you heard this morning and what the Holy Spirit was communicating to you this morning. Father, we thank you for uh, the beauty of your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for the privilege for us to have access to it. We thank you, Lord, for those that have uh, printed your word, Lord, and, and made it available for so many countries and so many languages. We thank you, Father, for those people because there was a day when not everyone had access to the word and only the priests had access to, to your word and whatever the priest said was so. But Father, I thank you that the word has been placed in, in the hands of the common people today, Lord, that we have access to your word, that we can read it for ourselves. Thank you, Father, for those who you've placed in the body of Christ, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, to help us, Lord God Almighty, to help equip us and to help us understand your word and walk it out. We thank you, Lord, for the text that we had today that, that showed us Lord God Almighty, that uh, for those who are yours, they are yours. But there is a, a rebuke and a strong rebuke that we continue to grow and that we continue in unity. And we know, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are the one who unites us. Outside of you, there is no unity. But with you, there is unity. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.